Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. The reading is from Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all peoples, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who'd performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who'd received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gored themselves on their flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Just like you to rearrange the furniture. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to explain that, but I won't even bother. Father, thank you for your word. As Amy preaches to us today, we ask that you would fill her afresh with your spirit. We ask that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, that we might not just be hearers, but doers. And we pray, Jesus, that this work of healing that is underway would would increase as we see you more clearly. Let us see you. Mm. Would you bless Amy? Would you bless each of us? And would the outcome of this be faith? Mm. For your glory's sake. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Um, we can have a dip, can't we? If we get too hot, maybe. Um, but my name's Amy, and Johnny and I are married. If you thought that was weird, that he knew that I like to rearrange furniture. Uh, and uh, a huge welcome from me as well. Um, if I've never met you, or if you're visiting here um, this morning, 
Um, but I, um, I'm sure many of you have heard of Tim Keller. Um, and he is um, a wonderful preacher, leader um, in New York. Um, and I'm sure many of you have heard that he um, passed away yesterday. And, uh, and he, um, he was particularly... Um, he had a real impact on me. I used to literally... I mean, I probably regurgitated so many of his sermons, to be honest. Uh, I love listening to him preach, read loads of his stuff. Um, and so I was really sad... Um, to hear this news. And, uh, and on Friday, so before he died on Friday, Johnny and I uh, were, were out walking. And we go to, we, Johnny and I um, like to walk every Friday morning, and we just walk and talk and talk and walk. And, uh, and before we uh, embarked on our walk, we went to a coffee shop. And, uh, and we were ordering coffee. And um, actually, Amy Jones sent um, a message from Tim Keller's son uh, to us um, over sort of a staff chat um, and, uh, and I read it as Johnny was ordering coffee. Um, and this is, what it, this is what it said. It said, Today, Dad is being discharged from hospital to receive hospice care at home. Over the past few days, he has asked us to pray with him often. He expressed many times through prayer his desire to go home to be with Jesus. His family is very sad because all we wanted was more time. But we know he has very little at this point. He actually died the next day. In prayer on Wednesday, Tim had said, I am thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for my time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And as Johnny was ordering the coffee, I read it, and I was like, <gasps> you know, really started to sob. It really impacted me. I mean, if I wasn't in a coffee shop, I would have completely and utterly lost it. And it's sad because of him. It's sad that he's died. But it really impacted me because this was somebody who knew Jesus. He knew Jesus. And he led not only a beautiful life, but he is dying this most beautiful death. And in all of the pain and the suffering of, of going through all the years that he has um, suffered, um, he never stopped knowing and loving Jesus. And so we are in this Revelation series. We are... Um, we are in a series, and you can go back uh, to look over uh, the past sermons, and it feels poten potentially for some that we have been in uh, for a very long time. <laughs> um, but uh, if you want to recap, you can go and do that. Um, do you know, I'm going to pray, because this sermon is all about Jesus, and I'm feeling like a little bit of a battle, so I'm just going to pray, okay? Um, well, Holy Spirit, we, um, we welcome you into this space. And Jesus, you rule and you reign, and we take authority over this room in the name of Jesus, and we declare now your will and way, and we proclaim your words in this space, and we banish all schemes of the enemy now that would want to undermine your victory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we are. Okay. 
And so we are um, in this um, Revelation series, and you can go back, um, but the, the chapter that you've just read from, he- from Heather is basically all about Jesus, which is my favorite person to talk about, all the- <laughs> obviously. And when we go back over um, this Revelation, um, when we go back over this Revelation um, uh, series, you'll be able to see that really, not only is this chapter talking about Jesus, the whole, whole of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus. It's all about the unveiling of Jesus. And, uh, and we are heading towards the end, as I said, um, and the next three weeks that we're going to cover um, are basically unpacking new creation. When Jesus comes back and makes everything new, as we prayed earlier, that he comes um, and makes all things new, we are going to be looking and exploring what that looks like over the next three weeks, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Um, so we are coming in to the end. But here at chapter 19 is basically the beginnings of looking towards new creation, and, uh, and if you were to read earlier in chapter 19, um, you're, um, it basically is um, describing this wedding supper, this wedding supper that is about to happen, um, the wedding where the bride, which is ultimately, it is the, the church, is the bride of Christ, where the bride finally meets Jesus face to face. When he comes again once and for all and makes all things good, and we're going to um, discover what that looks like in new creation. And so at the beginning of this chapter, there is this anticipation, um, this moment of meeting Jesus face to face at this wedding supper. Um, And if you read earlier, it says, "For for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And so this is the first part of chapter 19. But we're going to leave that there, and then we come in at chapter 11, where, uh, where Heather read. And, uh, and verse 11 is this entry moment, this entry of Jesus. John says, he says, I, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse with a man upon it. The white horse and if you are in any doubt, just to lay it, you know, bear here, the man on the horse is Jesus. <laughs> the man on the horse is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus today. And, uh, and so this horse um, that we, is the first thing we read about, the first thing we see, the horse is a symbol of war um, because kings rode horses into war. And so here we have Jesus on a horse ready for war. Which is really interesting, isn't it? That he's on a horse, ready for war. And um, this particular scene over church history has been identified as the final battle. It's been identified as the final battle. However, the final battle can can actually be really misleading. um, And it can can often be really misunderstood. Because Daryl Johnson, who we've been following, um, puts it like this. He says... The final battle, small case letters, need not be fought because the final battle, capital letters, has already been fought and won. Jesus Christ, okay, this is the key, Jesus Christ rides in on a horse simply to finally implement the victory that was won on the cross. So here we are, Jesus on a horse, riding into battle to fight a war that's been won, because he's coming to implement, to, to, to implement what he has done on the cross, which he did once and for all. 
The battle against sin and death has been won on the cross. It has been won on the cross. And we, as the church, we must be assured that the battle has been won. We must know that the battle has been won. And that Jesus ultimately has the victory over a sin and death for all, um, for once and for all. However, um, if, if it's, not, um, it's not unclear, is it, that we still live in huge amounts of pain. You know, we see pain and chaos um, all around us. Um, and so what we're seeing here in this beautiful uh, picture that we'll go on to see is Jesus is coming to... Um, to ultimately implement the fullness of the kingdom, to wipe away p- pain and chaos once and for all, um, and, put, and bring it into its fullness. And so this then is a vision of Jesus coming, um, in verse 20 it says, to capture the beast and its false prophet and throw them into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Where do you want your pain and chaos to go? I want it to go into a burning lake of sulfur. Where do you want the enemy that comes and lies to you, comes and take away, takes away relationships, comes and abuses, come and, comes and destroys? Where do we want that in the burning pit of sulfur? And that's what Jesus comes, to lock up the enemy once and for all. This is the scene. This is the scene. Okay, so Jesus is on a horse. The battle has uh, been won. Um, but what we see really, really clearly in the, in the rest of this chapter is how. It's basically how Jesus has won this battle. How has he been victorious? Was it by military power and competence? No, not by military power. The battle was won because of who Jesus is. The battle is won because of who Jesus is, that no one can overcome him. And the answer to who Jesus is, which I'm sure many of us have a snippet, don't we? But who Jesus is, is basically the rest of the text. And so we're going to unpack who Jesus is um, and why then Has he won this battle because of who he is? Okay, number one, Jesus wins because he is called faithful and true. Verse 11, if you want to follow through. Because Jesus is called faithful and true. Jesus is the faithful witness. He is totally and utterly faithful to his Father from beginning to end. Completely and utterly faithful. He is sinless, perfectly dependent upon the Father. Jesus desires the Father's will, even in suffering, even in torment. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. He is utterly dedicated to the Father's glory. And as we know, he faithfully lays down his life So when we put our faith in him, we gain life. He is true. You might want to say he is the real deal. (laughs) Jesus is the real deal. There is nothing hidden in his closet. There's no article that can be written about Jesus. No, No secret hidden sin. 
He is the real deal, utterly true. There's nothing deceptive about him, nothing deceitful about him. And what this means for us, as we grasp his name, that you are faithful and you are true, it means that he is completely and utterly trustworthy. It means that he is completely faithful and true to us. I'm sure so many of us, I know we have been wounded or hurt in our years by betrayal of others, family, work, or deceit, you know, potentially um, making it really hard to trust anyone and potentially making it really hard to trust Jesus. But what I want to say is reading this first name, that he is faithful and true, we can be sure that when we put our trust in Jesus, when we put our trust in him, he will not betray us. There is no betrayal in him. Just truth and faithfulness. There is nothing else in him. There's no deception. There's nothing else in him but truth. He will never deceive you. He will never deceive me. He will never trick us. He will never reject us. He will never get bored of us. And the thing is, as we trust him, as we begin to put our trust in him, it actually then enables us to begin to trust others. It starts that way around. As we trust him to be faithful and true, you're never going to let me down. You are never going to let me down. You're never going to reject me. You're never going to leave me. You're always going to be at my side. We can begin to risk relationship with others because ultimately my, my security is in Jesus alone. And so it starts there. And even when seasons are hard, you know, he doesn't change. He's always called faithful and true. Okay, secondly, he wins because his eyes are a flame of fire. Jesus sees everything. They pierce through bright, pure, penetrating, purifying. He sees the whole picture of everything. He sees everything. You know, therefore, we can rely upon him to be the judge over everything, because ultimately he sees it all. If you're anything like me, how exhausting is it, if we're really honest, how exhausting is it to be the judge of our lives? When we think about it, it's so tiring, isn't it? Being the judge of our own lives. You know, we were never meant to be the judge. We were never meant to be the judge of our lives of what we think is good or what we think is bad or what you think is ugly, what we think is smart or not smart or, you know, successful or not successful. We weren't supposed to play that role. We weren't supposed to be the judge of our lives. You know, shame entered the world because we took on the role of judge. Read Genesis. We wanted to be like God. And what we see here is he has the the eyes that see all things, so we don't have to be the judge. You know, I did 
I, um, I preached the other day, well, it was actually a while ago now. I did this thing, like taught at this thing. And um, the next day, um, I woke up, and I think I've shared this before, but I woke up and I was feeling utter, like, oh, why did I say that? You know, shame storm. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, you know, Lord, I'm this, and I'm that, and blah, 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 and that wasn't good, and da, da, da. And I felt like really clearly I saw a picture of a judge's hat come into my mind. Um, and I was like, oh. Like, what, was the, what does that mean? And I felt God say to me, who made you the judge of what pleases me? <gasps> and I was like, huh, maybe what I think was awful pleased you. <laughs> because he sees all things. Maybe what we judge as somebody being irritating at our work, maybe, he, maybe that person brings great pleasure to the Lord. Or when our child is being really irritating and singing, you know, in really inappropriate places, and we're like, church, you know, you're annoying people. God's like, hang on. I see that. I see the heart of that. Who made you the judge of what pleases me? (laughs) My prayer so often in situations where I want the justice, I want to make it right, you know, is like, Lord, you see the whole picture. You see it, I don't. You got eyes of blazing fire, I clearly don't. You see the whole universe, I don't. You see all things, and I give you this situation. I give you this situation, I give you this person, I give you whatever it is, and I just simply pray your will be done. But also, with the eyes, we are... They're purifying. When we look into the eyes of Jesus, he sees all things. He actually, if you didn't know this, he knows you better than you know you. He knows so much more about you than you know about you, which is kind of, I find really reassuring. Other people might feel that's like really frightening. I love that because I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know what's going on. But you, can't, you do. You see through. You see through my facade. You see through my insecurity. You see through this. You see, you know, you show me. You give me the wisdom. This is liberation that we don't have to be the judge of our lives. Okay, number three. The battle is won because on his head are many crowns. On his head are many crowns. Now, I know, I'm sure you're all aware, crowns are a symbol of victory. In fact, uh, monarchs used to wear multiple crowns to show that they were the king of more than one country, which I think is quite hilarious. Can you imagine, like, someone wandering in with all these, like, balancing crowns to be like, I'm reign of all these countries. Um, but anyway, it, that's what it symbolizes. And so it's thought then that the crowns here, it means that Jesus... Um, Jesus has many victories upon his head. But all the victories that he has won are upon his head. And do you know what the victories are? The victories are your life, and the victories are my life. And so Jesus is riding on this horse, crowned with your victory of salvation on his head. He's wearing our salvation. He's crying, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. He, your salvation is beautiful. It's like jewelry, it's a crown on his head. 
just, that's amazing. I just thought, that's amazing. <laughs> I just, <sighs> and, I, and I think what comes with this is that we can then be utterly assured of our salvation in Christ. That he wears a crown. <laughs> he wears my crown, Amy Hughes' crown, on his head. The victory of Amy Hughes. He's wearing it. It's there. It's not moving. It's assured. It can't be taken away. You know, Paul writes, doesn't he? There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When we're in Christ Jesus, you can't be moved. Nothing can move you. Any enemy lie that says you've lost that or all your salvation's on the rocks, just utter nonsense. Our crown is secure on Jesus' head. Okay, four, the battle is won because there is a name written that no one knows. Jesus has a name that no one knows except for himself. You know, Jesus has given us many names as we read scripture. He's given us many uh, ways to understand God. We understand Jesus' character by his name. You know, we get Lord, of, Lord and Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, Bread of Life, Light of the World. You know, the names go on, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. They go on and on. But there is more we don't know. There's more we don't know. There is more to be revealed in this last scene. You know, there's more to be revealed about Jesus. And this keeps me humble. You know, we don't know everything. We don't know who Jesus is fully. None of us do. And if we begin to pretend that we do, we are totally missing it. If you hear anyone saying, I know all of the things that Jesus knows, or I know Jesus fully, it's like, whatever. None of us know. None of us know. Only Jesus knows. There is more to be revealed. We, are never, uh, we never graduate from Jesus' school, ever. I really believe that he's kept this from us uh, to keep us humbly seeking him. He is out of our league, beyond our understanding. I, um, I, I learned this actually from Daryl Johnson again that we've been reading. And he said, in ancient times, it was thought that if you knew someone's name, uh, it basically gave, gave you a certain level of authority over that person. Which I guess it does in some ways today, doesn't it? Um, because if I was at home and I called my daughter you know, up the stairs saying, Anna, I would have an authority over her because she would hopefully say, yes, mum. Wouldn't always happen. <laughs> but, you know, you, you get my point, that actually there's a, there's a level of control when you have someone's name. And so I think what's happening here is Jesus is under no one's control. He's uncontrollable. <laughs> we cannot control him. We stay humble. Okay, five. The battle is won because he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Jesus has blood on his robe before the battle. Before this final battle, his robe is dipped in blood. And the beautiful thing here, which again isn't probably news to everyone, but the beautiful thing is the blood isn't, isn't ours. The blood on his robe is his blood. It's his. He won the battle over sin and evil and death by shedding his own blood on the cross. He gave himself up for us. 
God himself in the person of Jesus took upon himself the full force, and I say force, the full force of God's wrath. The punishment he d- we deserved, he took it. He took it all. And this is beautifully summed up in verse 14 in, in, in the scriptures. It says, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Linen is, um, is, the, is a symbol, is a uniform of priests. And so by Jesus' sacrifice, we are not only riding on a horse, which is quite cool, <laughs> but we are made clean. We are white in linen. We become the priests of God who join in the work of Christ. We are his army. We are his army. And all we do is abide. All we do is cling to Jesus. We are wearing his clothes. The armies of heaven join in the victory of Jesus as priests, announcing and implementing the kingdom of God. That's our job. Okay, six, the battle is won because he is the word of God. Jesus is God's speech. God spoke the world into being by speaking, which basically means he's the creator of all things. He's the creator of all things. He holds everything in his hands. Who can possibly overcome the creator of the universe? Do we think that darkness is more powerful than the creator of the universe? I sometimes do. I need to check myself. That beautiful image that Amy shared about going through the, going through the alley. I'm like so afraid of walking through any alley ever. But to know that he is more powerful than any fear. He is more powerful than any darkness because he ultimately created everything, created the universe. There is no match for God. There is no match for him. The battle is won because on the thigh, on his thigh is written, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, verse 16. He is the king of all kings. He is king of all kings, Lord of all lords. He is the Lord of me and he is the Lord of you. He is the Lord of your family. He's the Lord of your career. He is the Lord of your street. He's the Lord of your workplace. He is the Lord of your classroom, your future, your money, your relationships. The only question is, will we let him be Lord? Will we let him be Lord? Will we surrender? And as I've journeyed, I became a Christian when I was 21. I was filled with the Spirit, and it totally changed everything in my life. And as I have made him Lord over the things that I've given him over the last, last 20 years, I'm sure there's more to make him Lord over that I can't even see. He is a much better Lord than me. He is so much better and more wise than I am and could ever be. And so the invitation, I think, is will you let him be Lord? Will you trust him as Lord, given the other things 
that we have talked about, will you give him Lord of your life? Even when it looks hard and you're like, really, Lord? Is he Lord of your life? Are there parts of your life that you haven't let him rule over? I think we need to be asking those questions. Okay, eight. The final battle is won. This is the final one. By one weapon. The weapon is coming out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. We see Jesus moving powerfully, don't we, when we read the scriptures, healing and deliverance by, and, and calming creation by simply speaking. You know, our words are so powerful because we've been given the same authority by the Spirit in Jesus' name. And we get the choice to speak life into being. We get to do the same thing. Every time you speak, you get to choose. Am I going to partner with lies with the enemy? Or am I going to speak life over this person? Am I going to speak life over my family? Am I going to speak life over my colleagues? We get a choice. Are we going to speak life into being as we join as, this, as these priests, as this army with God? Okay, to, to end then. Jesus goes into this battle <clears throat> to finish a battle that he's already won. And Jesus has won because of who he is. And I think where I wanted to land today, having read all of that, I think for us to all ask the question, do we believe this is who he is? You know, you might have heard of all that stuff before, but do we believe this is who he is? Do we believe he's faithful and true? Do we believe that he is the seer of all things? That he wears our victory as a crown? That he's beyond our knowledge? That he is dipped in his own blood for the sake of our life? That he's the creator of the universe and that he is Lord over everything? Do we believe that he is greater than the darkness that we face? And that there's power in his name. I really believe it's crucial more than ever, and it always is crucial, that as the church, we have to make Jesus our rock. He has to be the rock in what we stand, in which we stand, that we put our faith in Jesus alone. We must put our faith in Jesus alone. And here at Trinity, we want to do everything in our power, if you like, to lead you to Jesus, not to Johnny or I, not to anyone else on our team. We want to lead you to Jesus because when we stand on the rock of who Jesus is and we put our faith in the wonders of who Jesus is, the world can shake, but we are not shaken. How often do you see leaders that are, um, you know, people losing faith because of church and because of this person and this leader and they've lost faith? And it's like, no, we can't lose faith because of the out, outside of Jesus stuff. We've got to stay rooted and established in the love of Christ. It's the only way, it's the only hope for our church. It's the only hope for the world. That we don't put our faith in a leader or a social justice project or politics or relationships or money or career, but Jesus alone. We cling to him, church, is the answer. We cling, we learn to abide. We make him Lord over our lives and we trust him every day. So why don't we stand? I'm going to ask the Spirit to come and make whatever needs to be made.
clear.